Good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm an elder and part of the teaching team. And this is the question. We're going to be looking at who is Jesus? We are, as Adam said, in the middle of our series called Creed. I am the member of the teaching team who was fortunate enough to be assigned the topic, Summarize Jesus in 30 Minutes. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so I will be doing that today. So we're going to be exploring this question. And the reason that we're going to be exploring it is we believe at Rock Hills this is the most important question you will ever answer. Who is Jesus? We believe it's important for every person to answer this question. Um, It's the reason that we're here. It's the reason Gilbert Villalobos has faithfully been setting up a mobile church every Sunday for eight years. It's the reason that Angelica spends time. Yeah, that is something... (laughs) Um, It's the reason that Angelica spends every week preparing a lesson for your kids so they can, in an age-appropriate way, answer that question. It's the reason that Laura gets up every Sunday, comes and makes coffee so that she can be comfortable in the environment as we address that question. It's a very important question, and it's a question that people have faced for 2,000 years. Who is Jesus? You know, I think it's funny because we find ourselves pretty sophisticated relative to the people who lived at the time of Jesus, right? We think that we know so much more. They couldn't possibly understand what it is to be in modern society. But I read something as I was preparing for this sermon. So about two months ago in England, they found some Roman tablets. These are tablets like about this with Roman writing on them. They were somehow in some mud or muddy area where the moisture in the mud kept out the oxygen. And so the writing was actually preserved. And most of them were about financial things and political things. But one of them, one tablet, one tablet, described a food, a recipe, if you will, that was a dough (laughs) that was made with water and ground grain and honey that was fried in the fat of an animal and served with fruit. Folks, some of the Romans knew what a jelly donut was. (laughs) I was shocked. We think of ourselves as pretty modern, but actually it's the same question. We face the same question as people have Um, Jesus himself asked his disciples that question. Who do you think I am? And some of them say things like, oh, some people say you're a good teacher. A lot of people say you're a good moral teacher. And Jesus said, as I have up here, I think, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And one of his disciples, Simon Peter, said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And Jesus commended Peter and said, you know, this is not from your own knowledge that you understand this, but God has given you this knowledge. And he then later says, because of your faith, you are the rock on whom I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's because he recognized Jesus as the son of God. So before we attempt to answer this question, though, and this is the one thing, you know, some people are afraid of public speaking. My fear every week is that this thing is going to fall off. So I'm not afraid about the speaking problem. I'm always nervous about this uh, microphone. But um, when we talk about who is Jesus, I want to put us in a mindset that we are looking for truth. We are looking to discover truth. And I think in our society, we have this phrase that we use a lot, our truth, my truth, right? Meaning there really isn't a real truth, but we're going to go at it from the position of there is a truth that can be discovered. I think when it comes to modern day America, people have a kind of 
uh, version of their faith that is described by a phrase that we used in the 80s. And before I say it, I realize lots of you in this audience were not born even in the 80s, so I'm going to have to explain it. How I know that my 80s that I think of as normal is a little bit older. This last week, my family, we were watching a TV show that's set in the 80s. And there was a body that was discovered under suspicious circumstances. And my 17-year-old leans over to me and without a hint of irony says, Dad, did they have autopsies back then? (laughs) Sweetheart, it was the 1980s, not the 1380s, okay? (laughs) So I'm going to explain this expression. And this expression is one from column A and one from column B. You'd hear people say that. It's because in that time when you went to a, in that time, back in the day, in that time when you went to a a mall in the food court and you had a Chinese restaurant, often they presented their dishes with names in two columns, A and B. So A would be the usually less expensive things and B would be like the meat dishes or tofu, Peter DeYoung, or tofu, um, the more expensive dishes, and you could choose one from column A, one from column B, like a drink, and that would be your lunch. And I think that's how people today think of faith. They want to pick their favorite part of Christianity, their favorite part of Buddhism, maybe their favorite part of Deepak Chopra or something, and mix them all together and make their faith. And so they think of faith as being a preference or something that I can pick. And then once they have their combo, they uh, pour the soy sauce over it, and that soy sauce is the expression, I am a very moral person. I have these beliefs that I'm a moral person. And I just want to challenge that view a little bit today because if you define what moral means based on your own opinion, well then, of course you're moral because you're going to pick the stuff you're good at, right? Of course you're moral. When we say, if you say you're moral or if someone says they're moral um, and it's not measured against an absolute standard, then it doesn't mean the same thing. You know, my guess is that very evil people in history have thought that they were moral because they were rooting out some group of people that were causing trouble, right? I mean, so I say there is a truth and it's a kind of absolute truth Um, that we're looking for when we answer this question, who is Jesus? So we're looking for the truth, regardless of what we want it to be or what our personal opinion is. Truth is by its nature exclusive, which means if something is true, then that means that things that contradict it are false. And we don't like to say that things are false, but that's the perspective I'm going with, is that we are looking for the truth. Jesus himself had something to say about the truth. This is famous verse in John 8. It says, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think a lot of people think of faith or religion as being something where you have to check your brain at the door, and Christianity absolutely is not that. Believing in Jesus is not that. Jesus invites you to find the truth. And as we're talking today, I ask you personally, don't believe things just because I say them. You should discover for yourself. If something I say piques your interest, read on upon yourself, discover for yourself so it becomes internalized to you. So now that we know we're looking for the truth, I want to explain how to think about the question, who is Jesus? Or specifically, I'm thinking about it as if I were a person who didn't already believe in Jesus and was evaluating it myself. I'm kind of a sciencey guy, so the way I think about things is kind of sciencey, logic-y, and I'm going to go through that. And I'm going to use this kind of cross pattern um, to th- think about the points and to illustrate the points as we go of the questions I might ask 
if I was trying to figure out who is Jesus. And so the first question that I would ask is, was he even real? So a lot of people you saw in that video said, I don't think he was even real. I don't think he ever really existed. It's a good question. Was he real or is he more of a legendary figure like King Arthur or something like that? So I think that this one is fairly easy to answer because there are multiple historical ancient documents that mention Jesus. And these are documents that were not written by Christians. They're not the Bible. They're actually documents either by Roman or Jewish historians at the time who mentioned Jesus and his followers. And several of these documents are hostile toward Christianity. They didn't like them, but they still mention this Jesus and his followers are causing trouble in this way. The way was, I mean, the way he was causing trouble was he didn't, people weren't worshiping Caesar anymore or people were falling away from the Jewish leaders. That was what they thought was trouble. But these documents clearly reference Jesus. So I think it's pretty easy to decide that he was a real person, right? That he was a real person. And now once I get in my head that I think he's a real person and I think the historical evidence confirms he was real, I would wonder, okay, so he's real, what was it that he said that made him so popular back then and so popular today, right? Why would, he, why would we still be talking about him 2,000 years later? What is it that he said? I would be curious for sure because I know if you saw in that video, some people didn't believe at all. Some people thought he was a really good teacher, and a few in that video thought he was divine, thought he was God, right? I would want to know, did he ever claim that he was God? Did he himself ever say, I am God? Or did he just have a good teacher and people later build some kind of religion around it? So the way we know about what Jesus said is by four historical documents that describe the life of Jesus. They're called the Gospels and they're in the Bible. And so at this point, I have probably lost some of you because you're like, yeah, that's biased. I can't believe the Bible. So I want, I want to do is I want to think about the document, the Bible specifically, the four gospels that describe the life of Jesus as historical documents and ask you if you're skeptical to use the same type of weighing of evidence that you would use with any other historical document to believe it's true. So it's at this point that I got to admit something. I fibbed a little bit earlier in my talk. There were no jelly donuts in Rome. The reason that I did that was not to, not to practice lying in church because I did ask several people, is it okay to do this? And they said yes. The reason I do this is I want you to be honest with yourself. Were you willing to believe that such a thing as jelly donuts existed because I told you that one tablet said so? One ancient tablet said that they existed. I would have, I mean, I would have um, believed if that article had said, by the way, in addition to these financial and political writings, there was a thing describing it, I would have believed it. One tablet would be enough for me to believe. One tablet is like this. And the amount of documents and evidence we have that the gospel of the gospels is like this. There is more evidence for the gospels than there is for any other ancient document in literature. 
thousands. I didn't have the exact number because it was hard to tease out which one are just the Gospels, which one is the Bible as a whole. But the amount of evidence for the Gospels being true as historical documents is greater than any other document we have. And to me, it's a bias to say that just because we put them together in a thing called the Bible, we can't believe them. So the Bible, I think, especially the Gospels are, well, the Gospels are the reliable source for what Jesus would have said. Um, So what did Jesus say? Well, in the Gospels, he clearly claimed to be God, and he did so using the language of the time. He was Jewish, and so he used language that other Jewish folks that he was communicating with would understand as a claim to be God. I'm going to read one from John 5, verses 16 to 18. It says, The Jews who were gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in this suspense? If you are the Messiah, if you are the Son of God, tell us plainly. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, he had been healing people on the Sabbath miraculously, And the religious leader said, what are you doing? That's on the day of rest. You can't heal people. You can't miraculously heal people on the day of rest. So they were upset about that. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all this, the religious leaders tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, because, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They knew in the language of that faith, they knew he was claiming to be God. Further on in John, Jesus says, I and the father, meaning God, are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the father, For which of these do you stone me? And they answered, We are not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. It is clear that Jesus claimed to be God in this historically reliable document. In other places in the Gospels, he refers to himself using language that was from the Old Testament that was predicting the coming Messiah. So the phrase son of man was known to be a reference to the Messiah. So again, he claims to be the Messiah. He claims to be God. If you are interested in this, if you're interested in the historical reliability of the Gospels, I've got a book. It's just a little bit dry, but I'd be happy to loan it to you called Faith on Trial, where a lawyer talks about how to think about the Gospels as historical documents and whether or not they would be admissible in a current court. Um, So this man, Jesus, who really existed claimed to be God. We've got a guy really lived, historical references. We've got the most reliable historical documents we have say he claimed to be God. So what do we do with that? Well, the life-altering question before you is, is this claim true? Was he God? Well, there are two possible answers, right? Yes or no. Either what he said was true or it wasn't. Two possible things. So um, I believe that it is true that he was God, but I'm going to for a second think about what it means if it isn't true. Right? If he claimed to be God but it wasn't true, there are kind of two paths you can go down in thinking. One is 
He claimed to be God. It wasn't true. And at the time when he claimed it, he knew it wasn't true. If this is true, this would make him a liar, right? He would be lying. But the idea that Jesus was a liar raises so many questions that just make it seem unreasonable. If he was a lie, if he was a liar, the disciples, after he was killed, they would have known it. He wouldn't have raised from the dead. And the disciples led a life of poverty, torture from the government, and eventual execution for their belief. Does it make sense that that would happen if it was all for a lie? Why would they have continued that? Why would a liar hang around with tax collectors and sinners? This is an amazing thing about Jesus. His ministry, he met with people that others, especially the religious leaders, considered untouchable, untouchable. But it says here, as Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Tax collectors were the lowest of the low. They made their living by cheating people. They were low. Follow me, Jesus told Matthew. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said these very amazing words, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you were lying and you were trying to build power or something through your lie, why would you hang out with the people in society who could do nothing for you? You'd hang out with the wealthy, the influential, the popular. Jesus hung around the people that needed him. He hung around tax collectors and sinners. If it was a lie, why would the Bible show the weakness of Peter, Why would the Bible show how Peter denied knowing Jesus on the night of Jesus' arrest when he needed him the most? If you were trying to build followers, maybe to get money out of them or something, you would want to show your leaders in the best light that you possibly could. Why would you include this? Why would you include the fact that Jesus appeared, his first appearance after his resurrection was to women? And in that day, not now, in that day, The word of a woman was not a reliable witness in court. If you're trying to make your case, you would have appeared to, I mean, you would have appeared to someone of great power, but if you're lying, you probably would be someone with great power who's now dead, so you can't check out the story, right? You would say that. It just doesn't seem reasonable, based at least on my reading of the Gospels, that it's a lie. Again, I encourage you to read for yourself. I've picked some things that strike me about why I don't think it's a lie, but I encourage you to read for yourself in the Gospels. So now let's consider what we make of Jesus if we think he claimed to be God and it wasn't true, but he didn't know it. Well, that would make him a crazy person, right? That would make him a lunatic. Now, I think that even those who think he's a good moral teacher and don't believe he's divine, they don't think he's a lunatic. They don't think he was crazy because his words were so amazing. Jesus amazed people because he spoke with more authority than their very learned teachers of the law. They, so we have in Mark chapter 1, Jesus and his companions went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, 
Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. And these teachers of the law were very learned people, and he had more authority than they did. And at a time when people looked at the wealthy as having God's favor, he taught, blessed are the poor. He also taught love for your fellow human beings. In Luke 6, he says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them Turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. This is a very radically different teaching that says love others. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. You know what he's describing here? He's describing people who say, I'm a very moral person. I love people. I'm good to people. I'll give them stuff at a decent interest rate. You know, That's what he's saying. Go beyond that. There's very little, when you look at the things that he taught, there's very little that would make you think that he was crazy. This is mind-altering, soul-altering stuff, the idea that I should be loving others to the point that it hurts me. This is not the talk of a crazy person. So what are we left with? If he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic, what's left? That what he said was true. That what he said was true. That he is the Son of God. That he is... Lord, it's pretty astounding to think about that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the son of God come down to earth. This way of thinking about it, this is just one way of thinking about it. I'm kind of a logic guy, so this Lord, liar, lunatic is a thing that appeals to me. Um, it's called sometime Lewis's Trilemma after C.S. Lewis, who talked about it in his book, mere Christianity. And I want you to listen to why he came up with this kind of explanation of who Jesus is. This is I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. And that is they say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left us open to that. He did not intend to. Now, it seems obvious to me that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. 
So if you come to the conclusion that Jesus is real because it's what the evidence really to me shows, what do we do with that? I'm going to suggest two things today, how we react. The first implication of the fact that Jesus is Lord is that it puts the crucifixion of Jesus in a stunning, jarring light. What does this mean if he really is God, as he says? It means he descended from heaven and took human form and for our sake lived a life of no sin and became sin on our behalf, meaning he was executed and paid the penalty for us. God says that we all sin, every one of us sin. God also says that the wages of sin is death, which means separation from God. The conflict here is that God is a God of justice, which we all crave, and a God of love who loves us and doesn't want us to have to pay the penalty. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die in our place for the sins that we have committed. And unlike what I believe is every other faith, God says, you can't work your way to me. You can't work your way to me. The only way you can come to me is through my son, Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And God made it easy. All we have to do is place our faith in him, believe that he died for our sins. If you are a person who's thinking about this, if you've not yet accepted this truth that Jesus died for you, please talk to me after the service. Talk to Pastor Adam. Talk to Al. Talk to our prayer partners. We're happy to talk with you about this, but we believe this is the consequence of the decision. If you decide that he is really, really was God, it's what needs to be the next step is placing your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And there's one last thing that I would like to speak about today, and that is um, the implication of Jesus being Lord. And that is, if he is Lord, if he is really God, then we need to understand his will for us and obey it. You know, I think in the U.S., this word Lord, we have absolutely no concept of it, not even not in a religious sense, not in a faith sense, just in an earthly sense. We have representative democracy, right? We don't like what some authority tells us to do. We will vote them out the next time. We don't have a Lord. Growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, and so the word Lord to me was comforting. It's like saying, dear, dear Lord was like, dear friend, dear Fred, dear Joe, right? I mean, because that's just something, it was a name for God that was a positive thing. But the word Lord didn't really have a meaning to me. And I tried to think of an example because, you know, when we think of England, we start thinking of period pieces and all this stuff. And what's an example? So the only example I came to, and this is not an example about anything about faith, but about the concept of a Lord, of the word Lord. I'm a fan of the Harry Potter books, right? And the main bad guy in that book is called the Dark Lord. And the people who choose to follow him, they have a, on their arm, they brand a tattoo, a type of tattoo. And this book has magic in it. So, But when the Dark Lord presses his own arm, his own tattoo, 
the members, his followers, are required immediately to drop whatever they are doing and appear before him or the consequence is death. Immediately. And I thought, not that this is an example of Jesus, it's just an example of the word Lord, what it means that someone has control over you, that you are beholden to someone else. And I think that's what we owe God if we've placed our faith in him. The question I have for people who have placed their faith in Jesus is, and I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody else, do you find yourself becoming a one from column A, one from column B Christian? Not the whole thing, but I'm going to pick the parts of the faith that I really like, the love part, the freedom part. Woohoo! Rock Hills, people drink alcohol. Woohoo! I'm going to go here because I like that, right? But do you pick the things that you like to do, the things that are easy, or do you seek to make him Lord, to make him Lord? You know, back, uh, this was 90s, not 80s, there was a radio personality called Dr. Laura, and I didn't agree with everything she said. But I heard someone call in once, and this guy was, she was a person known for speaking hard truth to people. I heard a guy call in, and he said, you know, I've taken up Buddhism, and I've, uh, you know, I've gotten some parts of it down, but I'm still having trouble with other parts. And she, without blinking an eye, said, exactly, the hard parts. Those are the ones you haven't done. Do we, in our Christian lives, just pick our favorite parts, the easy parts, and not see Jesus as Lord? It's my challenge to you today, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, to see him as Lord Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you keep my commands. That's what he says. John 14, 23 says, anyone who loves me, this is Jesus, will obey my teaching. I encourage you today to know what it says and try with the rest of us on the journey to follow it, right? We don't, we're not perfect at that at all. That's why we have Bible studies, rock groups, different groups to study what is it that Jesus tells us to do and how can we better at doing it and to encourage each other when we're finding it difficult. The two, when Jesus was asked, what are the two most important commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on those two. Um, So those are great. Those are the general commands. But he also gives specific commands, like get rid of the log in your own eye before you complain about the speck in someone else's. Or turn the other cheek. There are lots of commands that he gives about living unselfishly, living for him. That's why I encourage you, come on Sundays, get involved in the Bible study, get involved in a rock group so that you can learn what God says to us and join us on the journey of following him. So today we have talked about who is Jesus. We've gone through some ways to think about him. Is he real? Yeah, I think so. I think he's got to be real. He's referenced in other documents, right? What did he claim? He clearly claimed to be God. Was it true? I think when you look at what's in the Gospels, it just doesn't make sense that it's not for these reasons. And then if he is Lord, we remember the incredible sacrifice he made for us. And then we remind ourselves to teach, to teach each other and to encourage another to follow him as Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. It's something that 
we just can't even comprehend the depth of the love that would say, I know that the wages of sin is death, but I want to pay that penalty for my people whom I love. Just pray that if there are people out there with questions, that they would seek out others to help answer those questions. And we thank you again for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.